You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where I'm still wishing there was a second issue of Iron Lantern that was released. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Eagle, and what I do on the show, as always, is talk about the Green Lantern comics, specifically the ones starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004, all the while putting a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, my two favorite Green Lanterns in all of history. And this time out, we're looking at a couple of special issues. This is the last team-up between Green Arrow and Green Lantern in this run, and it's the first time that Green Arrow, Oliver Queen, is going to be teaming up with Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner. It's a storyline called Black Circle Urban Nights that's kind of interesting. It's got a new artist, well, not really a new artist, but a new artist coming onto the book in Charlie Adler. It's got Ben Rabe writing for the Green Arrow book and Judd Winnick, of course, writing for the Green Lantern book. And there'll be some interesting switches around when uh, the story finishes up. So I'm looking forward to doing this. And because this is a crossover event, I decided to call in a personal friend of mine who likes Green Arrow. You may know him from the Invincible Ironcast Classics Edition. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome on the show for the very first time, Mr. Michael Staley. Hey, Mike, how's it going? I'm good. Thank you for having me here. I'm really glad that, uh, you know, I, I knew that you were an Iron Man fan, obviously because of your podcast, but you had mentioned before that you were a Green Arrow fan, and uh, unfortunately I don't know of that many Green Arrow podcasts out there, so I... I reached out to you to come on there, and you've been polite enough to come on and talk about this uh, issues or these issues. So I'm I'm glad to have you here. Yeah, it's actually kind of surprising, especially with the Arrow TV series, that there isn't more interest in the podcasting world for the character. But yeah, I've I've seen a couple about the show, and I think there was a father and son podcast that was covering uh, versions of it. But uh, you're the person that I decided to reach out to, and I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and being willing to talk about the talk about these stories. Oh, I'm happy to join you for them. Okay. Well, if uh, what we're going to do now is what we usually do is we're going to take a little break. We're going to play a couple of promos, probably one for a certain podcast uh, that's uh, hosted by a podcaster who's on the show. And once we get back, we'll start in our coverage of the Green Arrow Green Lantern crossover, Black Circle Urban Nights. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. Oh no! What will we do now? R2D2, you found a cigarette! Well, I don't think smoking is grown up at all. Don't be so ridiculous, R2. Thunder rules are for Earthlings. (coughs) All you need is a little rewiring. The children need to be fully immunized. I'm Jawa. Want to buy a droid? Sure, what you got? Wampa, wampa, wampa! We picked up something. It's the Millennium Falcon. I am Boba Fett. The ship you seek is nearby. Growing up Star Wars. Yay! Available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com. Offer expires May 31st, 1980. Hey kids, do you like comics? 
Do you like Iron Man comic? Do you want to learn more about Iron Man's downward spiral from alcoholism, fear of commitment, and feelings of inferiority leading the egomaniac into a life of misery? What? Then listen to the Invincible Iron Cast Classics Edition and see Tony Stark go from genius billionaire playboy philanthropist to genius billionaire playboy philanthropist with awesome weaponized armor. Relive classic stories like Demon in a Bottle, Armor Wars, Doom Quest, and more. Hosted by me, Mike Staley. So how about it, kids? Do you want to listen to the Invincible Iron Cast? Uh-huh. Well, too bad. You need to do your homework. Uh-huh. The Invincible Iron Cast Classics Edition. On iTunes or at invincibleironcast.podbean.com. Okay, and we are back. So this time out, we're going to start out with the Green Arrow book. This is Green Arrow number 23. And Mike, you have the floor, my friend. All right. So uh, a cover on this one is simple, but still actually kind of nice. I mean, we have uh, the kind of cliched, our two main characters aiming their respective weapons towards the reader. And behind them, you have their profiles looking at each other with the title of the issue being Face Off. Hopefully this will not lead to the two of them switching faces in some kind of extreme action movie from the 90s. Let's hope not. Ugh. Poor Nicolas Cage. So we open in Star City, where we've got a couple of sets of goons trying to get away from the cops and from Green Arrow. And one of these particular goons, I tell you, this guy is whiter than I am. I just I want to give you a little bit of his dialogue because this is clearly a case of trying too hard. Yo, once we unload this junk of them Russians, we're going to be rolling in some serious bling bling. I'm going to get me a dope crib, a sweet ride, going to live like a true player, know what I'm saying? This this is sad. I I don't think I've met too many people that are whiter than I am, but here here is definitely one. <laughs> Um, anyway, their car gets stopped by a couple of arrows into the tires, and after the car stops crashing into everything, Green Arrow gets a hold of them and ties them to a lamppost, kind of like Batman does, and uh, then proceeds to take out the next group with a flaming arrow, which causes their car to explode. Um, rather amazed how it did that, but... Comics. Yeah, exactly. It's comics. It's, it's comics. Uh, the last set charges towards Green Arrow in what is kind of one of those just cool shots of the headlights uh, facing Arrow with him aiming for a shot at them. Uh, gets a shot off, actually firing two arrows at once, hitting both of them in the shoulders, causing the car to swerve out of the way, and crash into another lamppost. Uh, cops finally show up, leading to a nice little West Side Story reference as he refers to one of them as Officer Krupke. Nice. And when they open the trunk of the car, they find that actually what they had in there was bleach. Maybe the criminals just had this really bad stain that they just couldn't get out. Anyway, we move on to New York City, where we have our other hero for this story, Kyle Rayner, hanging out at a club with his girlfriend, Jen, and these two valley girls. And this... 
This dialogue from some of these side characters is just hilarious. Because first we had White Gangsta, and then we get... Astrid, you did not sleep with uh, with Johnny Versace last night. Oh my god, he's so dead-end. It's just been dead for, like, years. And Jen has about the same expression I would have if I was in that situation. And then she threatens to kill them. I don't know if I'd really go with threatening. I might just, you know, skip that part. But to each their own. Kyle goes to get her a drink and happens to notice a bit of a deal going down between some Russians and some goons from from here in America. And the deal does not seem to be going well, almost leading to a gunfight. But then Kyle, quickly changing into Green Air, uh, excuse me, Green Lantern, steps in to stop the fight before getting blasted by one of the Russians with a really pink plasma-type gun. The Russians attempt to, to escape as we get more wonderful dialogue from our Valley Girls. But uh, Jen switches into her J persona, manages to catch the Russians, who then proceed to turn into aliens. They look kind of familiar, actually, the the uh, design of the aliens, but I can't quite place where I've seen it before. But anyway, they uh, teleport away, and uh, Kyle uh, points out that his ring has allowed him to get what he calls a uh, teleportation equivalent of a jet stream, so that they'll be able to follow the aliens wherever it is they went. So, uh, Lantern and Jade fly off following the trail, while the two Valley Girls make a little reference to Guy Gardner, including insinuating that he sleeps around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so, Jade uh, goes to do some digging while Kyle uses his ring to try to place where the aliens have gone, which directs him back to Star City, where our wonderful white gangsta has apparently gotten free because, well, you can't really arrest somebody for having bleach, I guess, and gets more wonderful white dialogue of beat the look on that green arrow's face when the cops had to let us go. That was priceless, yo. Yo, yo, I'm gangsta, yo. (laughs) They then get into a bit of a discussion about The Untouchables, which is actually an excellent movie. If you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. It's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arrow steps in and uh, gets a hold of one of the gangsters while he's in the bathroom. And when they come out, they find that Kyle has arrived and tied up the other ones. Well, Kyle and Ollie, they... They don't really get along too well. There's a little bit of initially just some quote-unquote friendly ribbing, which leads to Kyle calling Ollie old and Ollie backhanding him in the face. Ollie then proceeds to make the cardinal sin of comparing Kyle to Hal Jordan. Yeah, that, that goes about as well as you would think, and the two of them end up in a bit of a bar brawl. While they're fighting and basically continuing to 
insult one another. The goons manage to get out, but are confronted by the aliens, who proceed to fry them, quite literally. And these uh, book ends with Ollie and Kyle looking at it and pretty much pointing out the obvious of this is bad. Very bad. <laughs> I like this book. We've had a good amount of Green Arrow, Green Lantern crossovers during the third volume of the Green Lantern book. And like I said at the beginning, this is the first one that involves Oliver Queen and Kyle Rayner. Um, I'm kind of wondering about the antagonism between them. It seems a bit forced at times. And I'm wondering if that's maybe stems from Ollie coming back from the dead. I like the setup of the story with a group of aliens. I will admit the the aliens do look familiar. I can't place them, though, myself, but maybe if someone's uh, listening and they can write in that they've read this book, let me know about that. Um, I'm also a fan of Charlie Adler's art, uh, but I kind of wonder how this book came about because Charlie Adler wasn't working on Green Arrow or Green Lantern prior to this. He basically just came in to do both parts of the story. Now, a lot of you probably know Charlie Adler right now from his work on the Walking Dead book. Prior to this, he worked uh, on some British comics. I think he was doing work in 2080 uh, with uh, doing some Judge Dredd stories and stuff over that. He came over to work uh, on a DC title called The Establishment. But prior to this, he really didn't have all that much American work. Um, I like his stuff, but you can tell a distinct difference between his work on the secondary characters like the mobsters and all that, which look very specific and kind of have a style that you'd see him go move into as he did the walking dead and the way he does like the main heroes, because the main heroes look sort of, they look different, but they look like they're on model. Like he's trying to draw the models, but overall I really enjoyed this book. It's an interesting start. Uh, you know, a little mystery about some aliens that are smuggling bleach for whatever reason. What do you think about it, Mike? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I liked how the side characters even were given personalities that made them interesting. A lot of times, you know, when you get side characters, they're just there to be on the side and, you know, writers don't worry about them. At the same time, there were a lot of references to uh, different things, you know, give you some good laughs in there. And really just the the story, the mystery of why they wanted the bleach, really, it is a very enjoyable story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will admit, uh, it does seem very forced, the uh, dialogue for the white gangsta. That is a bit corny and very 2000s. But there are some, like you pointed out the humorous point about the guy misquoting the untouchables and not knowing what's going on with that. You know, I've been told by a friend of the show that Ben Rabes, uh, who takes over Ben Rabe, who takes over doing the Green Lantern book after this, his run is kind of sketchy. It's not the best stories out there, but so far I'm really enjoying this. I'm liking how he's handling the characters. 
aside from the antagonism between Green Arrow and Green Lantern. That's that would be my only sticking point so far. But if if you want, we'll go ahead and uh, go through the book. I like the cover as well. It is it's a very simple cover. You know, it's got a dynamic poses for the characters, uh, you know, on the characters in the front. The profile of Kyle Rayner looks a bit off to me. But other than that, it's fine. Uh, the, uh, the only other thing I have, and I guess I can chalk it up to Ollie being a trick shot with his bow, is the way that he's handling the, the bow and knocking it, uh, knocking the arrow off center and holding the uh, string above his arm. It's, it, you know, I, having, I, having shot some archery, this looks like it's something that wouldn't be too feasible and would be difficult to pull off a good shot. Yeah, I've noticed um, both in this book and in some others, there's always a bunch of unique ways he's holding the bow and shooting his his arrows. Um, half the time, you don't know which hand he's going to be holding the bow with. You never know how he's going to be holding it. I've actually been working on a green arrow uh, costume that I'm going to wear the next time I go to a con. So I've been paying attention to the way he holds the bow for, you know, when I do the outfit and i'm noticing it's like would you would you pick one and stick with it man yeah exactly and uh, this is one of the things i've noticed as well and i don't know if you've ever looked online there's uh, a youtube video for this guy called lars anderson i think his name is and he does a lot of uh, trick shooting and the way a lot of people shoot uh traditional you know modern day traditional arrows is they will if they're right-handed they will pull the bow back with their right hand or pull the string back with the right hand and knock the arrow on the left side of the bow so they can aim with that lars anderson usually knocks on the right side because it it's easier to put the bow up there and shoot multiple arrows at faster time so it's interesting the way that they sort of switch between different ways of shooting and all that but Considering that Oliver's supposed to be a trick shot and is able to use the bow in multiple dis- different ways, it I guess it works that he can handle it however it needs to be handled at that point in time. Hmm. Um, moving into the book, uh, my first notes on on page two, um, and it's it's what I said in the beginning there. Uh, with all the heroes, Adler seems to draw them in the house style. But when he's drawing the generic characters like these thugs here, they look very much like they're out of The Walking Dead. In fact, some of these people, like on page three, the the middle panel, and I don't know if you're familiar with Adler's work in The Walking Dead or if you read any of that. No, actually, I've not. I've seen some of the show, but I've not actually read the comic. Okay, because a lot of this, like I said, a lot of the artwork for the secondary characters looks like characters that you know background characters that would show up in the walking dead in fact there are certain times when they look like uh, they'll get into the later books where one of the characters will actually look like main characters in the book and it's it's nice but i guess if you are coming from the standpoint of actually knowing what the walking dead looks like which i guess if you're reading this in in the time it was coming out the walking dead hadn't even been thought up yet it was over a year away so but i think looking back at it, it's kind of neat to see the uh similarities between the book moving on to page four yeah the old uh flaming arrow in the tailpipe trick i don't know exactly how that works 
but sure, comics. Yeah, there's there's not really much better of an explanation needed, to be honest. Although a lot of people like to, you know, put logic into comics these days, but they're comics. They don't need logic. Mm-hmm. It, it, so long as your characters work in the setting that they're in, mm-hmm. I don't think you need to be... I don't think there needs to be an explanation for everything. There doesn't need to be an explanation for why Superman can fly. He can just fly. There doesn't need to be an explanation for how Batman has all his, you know, little tricks and things in his belt. You don't have to have a design of that. He just has them. Moving on to like page six, I think he does a great job. This you you mentioned in the synopsis of uh, the car headlights coming in on Ollie and him having the bow knocked and everything here. This is a really good image of him, and I think Adler does a great job here. Although that's another one of those interesting shots, having the uh, kind of standing straight and having the bow straight in front of him. Seems like he wouldn't be able to pull the the, the string back very well with the way he's holding it, because he, the string would end when it got to his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you're right, but it, it also allows him to, to sort of sight it better. I guess, but I don't, but, you know, again, being a trick artist or a trick arrow artist, you would think that he'd be able to not have to sight it, but since he's shooting two, two arrows at one time, maybe he has to do that. So, eh. yeah. And in the very next panel, he's uh, now turned to his side. So it's very possible that kind of a, in between the panels, he started facing the one way and then just kind of turned it once he got his sight set. Yeah, that maybe he maybe he's standing there for a dramatic pose and then he, he twists his uh, torso to mm. to pull back. Yeah. But he does a couple of good shots, taking both the guys out with an arrow into the shoulder, which is nice. And uh, then on the next page, we get the reveal that the supposed drugs that these guys were smuggling were bottles of industrial street bleach. So maybe they're uh, stealing for laundromats or something. I don't know. Get Ollie's little inquisitive face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ollie's, Ollie's grumpy, you know, what's going on here face. And I, I, again, Adler does a good job with the with the characters and drawing the different characters. Or drawing the, the generic characters and drawing the heroes. I uh, Moving on to the next page, I like seeing Cal and Jenny in... They're non-superhero roles. One of the things I've commented about on the show a lot is in modern-day comics, we don't see this sort of downtime thing where we just see the heroes in their normal guises, if they have them, going out and doing normal things. So to see Kyle and Jenny going to a club, even though they're talking to these two very vapid, very Valley Girl-esque type models, is, is annoying. But I think Ben Rabe gives their dialogue a bit of humor and a bit of silliness that, that makes it interesting to read them. Yeah. I like scenes like this because it really helps to develop the characters so that you have more reason to care about them. If you're only seeing them in fights over and over again, you have no reason to really care if the character gets hurt. Mm hmm. And, and that, that's like I said, that's the thing that I would like to see more in modern comics it's nice to see these big action sequences. It's nice to see these big events happen. But if you don't have some downtime where you get character development, the characters do just kind of become these heroic ciphers that 
you don't want to invest all that much in, and uh, these little downtime things really help out developing them. Um, the next couple of pages, Adler gets to do a lot of good job drawing drawing the gene- drawing the generic non-hero characters. And again, like I said, I'm going to keep coming back to it. They have a lot of look like they would do in The Walking Dead. However, on page 10, I do want to say he does get Jenny's in that one little panel near the bottom. He, I think he does a great job of drawing Jenny. Kyle, Kyle looks a little bit plain, but it, it, like I said, it's that kind of disconnect between the, the heroes and the supporting characters in the book. Mm-hmm. After that, moving on to the next page, we get that. I, I think that's just a, a, like Oliver got a great splash. Uh, with the headlights coming on him, and I think Kyle in his Green Lantern uniform gets a great splash here. Um, and, and and the guy is shouting Green Lantern with a very sort of it's almost cartoony uh, logo that he mm-hmm. shouts out. And I thought I like that. I'm still not a hundred percent on Kyle's uniform. I think if they get rid of the piping on the legs and on the shoulders and arms, I think I'd be more okay with it but i think it looks good and i think i think um adler does a good job drawing him here this is a nice nice image yeah i can actually kind of even hear dramatic music playing as he as he floats into the shot Mm -hmm. um as for the costume i kind of agree personally i always liked the the black costume with the white uh front and the green uh symbol on it yeah yeah, that's the, always been my personal favorite. The 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 original sort of '90s one with the big crab mask. Mm. Yeah, I, I I like that. There was a point in time where uh, a, a few issues back where he came up with the power of ion one, which was a nice design. But this one, it could grow on me. It's more it's more of a throwback to the traditional Green Lantern type uniform that uh, the Gil Kane type uniform. But mm. it's it's all right. Page 14, after Kyle gets thrown out the window, we get uh, more, uh, we get a fun comedy beat with uh, the two Valley girls again. And I, I, I love that Jenny's in the background just going, I'm, <laughs> I'm in hell. She is so embarrassed with being this. And it, it, it gives me, it gives me hope that Ben Ray will write some good stories in the Greenlander book because this is, this is funny stuff. I'm liking it. Um, I remember seeing this show. I don't remember what it was. It was like a, a parody of some sort about this uh, boy band. And one of the characters uh, was believed to have died at one point on stage. And they go to the audience and this one girl says, is he dead? Yeah, I'd still do him. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how that's about how these girls are. They're pretty. uh yeah, they're pretty. Uh, that's yeah, <laughs> let's leave it there. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, moving on to the next page, we get that uh, we get the reveal that the Russian mobsters are actually aliens, and I'm trying to remember. I don't. They look kind of like aliens out of maybe Invasion, the uh, DC series. They don't look like the Dominators, but they look like they look they look familiar. I wish I could place them. Unfortunately, my knowledge of the Aliens of the DC Universe is woefully insignificant. But, you know, I think Adler does a good job of rendering them, and they teleport away, which leads uh, Cal and Ginny to searching for him. Um, 
page 16, again, we get more dialogue with the vapid girls, which I, I kind of had to take issue with, um, you know, as a fan of Guy Gardner, um, I think that he personally has had fewer girlfriends than many of the Earth's based Green Lanterns, especially Hal Jordan, who is a Green Lantern player. In fact, you know, really, aside from Carrie Limbo, that whore, and uh, Ice, I don't think guys really had that many uh, that many girls. Now, during his sort of jerk Guy Gardner phase, he be kind of lascivious but i don't think he really slept around all that much so yeah this kind of came off like okay we're 16 pages in all right time to take a shot at guy gardner Mm -hmm. well but unfortunately that's kind of the way that it always goes guy gardner you know whenever whenever you want to make a joke about green lantern you always pull to guy gardner because hal is always the respected one cal is always the one who took up the mantle john is always the one who yeah, john is always the one who uh, is is the most uh strong-hearted one he's the one who took over when when hal got called away and guy is the lunkhead and i i that just upsets me because when written well guy gardner for me is one of the more interesting green lanterns out there but again, that's just me. Well, I guess you, you could always, you know, take a little bit of solace in the fact that I don't think anyone has ever insulted Guy quite as badly as that made-for-TV Justice League movie did. Uh, yeah, I I remember I actually took some time and watched that, and yeah, that. Uh, and the thing was, it really wasn't Guy Gardner; it was some sort no. of amalgam <laughs> of. Hal, Guy, and Kyle, and it just didn't work. Now, um, the uh, Batman Brave and the Bold, I think, got a good version of him. I didn't. I watched the one episode of Green Lantern, the animated series that had Guy on it, or one of them, uh, so that had Guy Gardner on it, and he was voiced by, uh, oh, what's his name from the Drew Carey show? He 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 voiced Batman on the Batman animated series, but. Um, what? Do you mean Diedrich Bajor? Can't you remember anything? Must I always fix your mistakes? Oh, well. But, uh, you know, I, I thought those versions of Guy were acceptable. Um, Moving on to page 17, Kyle uses his ring to track the alien teleportation device, which is a big deus ex machina, but whatever it progresses the story i guess and uh then after that we get the scene with uh green arrow and the thugs in the uh in the room with uh, again the more dialogue i i enjoyed the dialogue about these people trying to quote the untouchables and not knowing exactly what it is i think that's again i think that's really fun but i do think they get it a bit wrong with Kyle and Ollie together. I don't see Kyle being this much of a, not really disrespectful, well, maybe kind of disrespectful with Ollie. It, it, it does seem kind of joking, but it does also seem like he's kind of ribbing him. And I don't know how you feel about that. Well, it seems like maybe initially he was just kind of, you know, picking at him. He didn't really mean anything by it, but I think 
when Ali punched him in the face and then started getting personal with the Hal Jordan comparisons, I think that's when it stopped being just a joke to Kyle. Yeah. Well, and yeah, to me also, Kyle has never really seemed to have to live, you know, living in Hal's shadow has never really seemed to be a problem for Kyle, especially at this point in his career. He's, he's proven himself over and over again to be as competent, if not even in times more competent than Hal. So the fact that this got to him here just felt out of place, but it's, I guess maybe they're channeling the Marvel vibe when heroes initially mm-hmm. meet up. They have to have a fight before they can actually team up. So yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, on page, you know, we find out that the gang gets destroyed or gets uh, basically incinerated by the uh, by the aliens here and. I've got to say, uh, again, hearkening back to Walking Dead, the the image on page 22 of the people burned, uh, if this is stuff that you're going to see pretty much a lot of the time if you're reading The Walking Dead. I mean, not that they burn people a lot, but you'll see images like this, and the, the style does have that sort of horror style that you'll get eventually in The Walking Dead. Uh, it's, it's not it's not hideously graphic but it does get the point across really well mm-hmm. but uh overall i enjoyed the book it's a nice beginning to the story um artwork is good uh, like i said i think adler does a better job with the secondary characters and the heroes but uh storytelling and artwork i think was uh, a, a nice melding and it worked out pretty well yeah i agree completely i really did enjoy this book mm-hmm Well, uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about on this one, or do you want to go ahead and take a little break and move into the second one? Um, That's about all I had on this one. Cool. Well, then we will go ahead and take a little break, play a couple more promos, and once we get back, we'll start off with the Green Lantern story, Green Lantern 162. Oh, hello. We didn't see you there. Welcome to Comic Book Fight Club. My name is Jif S. Fishman, Esquire. And I am Gene Theodore Hendricks. Here at Comic Book Fight Club, we sit fireside, sipping our brandy, and discussing who would win in a bout of fisticuffs with other members of the comic book Illuminati. Yes, you caught us at a good time as Kevin Smith, Stan Lee, and the late Bob Kane just went on a beer and nacho run. Have you ever wondered who would be victorious in a bout? Galactus or Unicron? How about the Incredible Hulk versus the Monster Doomsday? What about G.I. Joe versus the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Or the equally important bout of the Snorks versus the Smurfs? And, of course, the Titanic duel between Archie and Jimmy Olsen. And you can expect the intelligent and erudite debates to sound something like this. But I always thought Transformers fans were intelligent and literate, so they should see that Galactus has to be the winner. Like, he's hungry. Oh, I'm so (laughs) hungry. I'm going to get weaker, and, 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 and Reed Richards is going to be able to beat me. I don't know anything about Rob other than, uh... He was defeated by Parker Brothers. Oh, it's, I mean, back, to, back to one of Sean's points, saying he got out of the out of the Silac. 
You know, every time he's gotten out of that in any story, he has to get put back in it because he's a bitch. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, ah, 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 no! No! She, oh, I tap she, out! I tap out! You are a sick, out. sick man. I'm not familiar with the last one. I need. I might have to hit Google Image Search here. So won't you join us for some witty discourse, a fine snuff, and a tincture of sherry as we debate over these all-important matters here only on Comic Book Fight Club. You can find the show at 2TrueFreaks.com and on iTunes by searching for Comic Book Fight Club. Please also join us on our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Comic Book Fight Club. Hey everybody, Magnus here. I do a podcast called Trinus Magnus Punches Reality. Most of the time I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows in general. But all that stuff gets put on hold every eighth episode of Trinus Magnus Punches Reality so that I can talk about Smallville. Smallville's my favorite version of Superman apart from the comics themselves, so I use every eighth episode of Trinus Magnus Punches Reality to subject the show to a borderline pornographic level of analysis, partly just to shoot the breeze about this awesome show, and partly to show the naysayers just how wrong they are about Smallville. This is Magnus Talks About Smallville, an eighth episode feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. And of course, I talk about Smallville in a way that's unrivaled in detail, unparalleled in epic scope, and unspeakably awesome in its awesomeness. Because I am Magnus, and awesome is how I do everything. So check out Magnus Talks About Smallville for all the Smallville small talk you could ever hope to shake a stick at. Magnus Talks About Smallville. Every 8th Tuesday, only at 2TrueFreaks.com. And we are back. And we're going to go ahead and move into the second book this time out. This is Green Lantern, number 162. This one had a cover date of uh, early June 2003, released on uh, April 16, 2003, with a cover price of 225 U.S. and 375 Canada. Uh, the title was You're Not the Boss of Me. Uh, the writer is Judd Winnick. Art was, again, by Charlie Adler. The letter was Jack Morelli. T- colors were by Tatiana Wood. Separations were by Heroic Age. The assistant editor was Morgan Donteville. And the editor was Rob Shrek. And the story goes like this. After a quick recap of the goings-on in the Green Arrow issue, Green Lantern Kyle Rayner and Green Arrow Oliver Queen give their statements to the Star City PD about the charred remains of the two victims found behind the mob hangout. After finishing the questioning, the police and heroes part ways, with Green Lantern saying that the goons were fried by intense radiation blast and not set on fire. Green Arrow thinks it could be Inner Gang, but Green Lantern stands by the idea of it being aliens, and that they should look further into the mobsters. Ollie balks at the idea and says that Kyle was just a pretender Green Lantern, and Kyle retorts that Green Arrow is just stuck in the past. But before the shouting match can escalate, Connor Hawk, Oliver's son, and Green Arrow while he was... elsewhere, I guess, breaks up the fracas and tries to get the duo to work together. 
But neither Kyle nor Ollie is in the mood to mend fences, so Kyle heads back to New York City, and Ollie gets dressed down by Connor, who says that he needs to take a few days off, off from the investigation. Reluctantly, Green Arrow gives in, but not without deflecting the black eye he got in the fight as him walking into a door. Back in New York City, Kyle is taking out his anger on a group of street thugs when Paramore Jenny Lynn Hayden drops by to give Green Lantern a little more focus. Beating up punks isn't what's going to solve what's going on, and even if Green Arrow isn't going to help, it doesn't mean that Kyle can't tackle the problem on his own. So Kyle heads straight to the source, Kisulu's Restaurant, the home base of the Tritino crime family, to try and talk to the capos about the dirty dealings. But the Tritino family is ready for Green Lantern, and when he enters the restaurant, they all open fire on him from behind the overturned tables. Hope for a diplomatic discussion dashed, Kyle unleashes some ring construct sumo wrestlers to subdue the paisanos, then wrings the guns out of their hands. Now that Green Lantern has established he's not one of the alien shapeshifters, he and Tritino sit down to discuss just what's going on. It seems that the aliens were using the mob to steal large quantities of industrial-strength bleach in order to turn it into some sort of alien narcotics. But when the materials became harder to obtain, the mob cut ties with the aliens. This led to the slayings in New York and Star City, something that Tritino says he wants no part of. Cut to Mount Sladeen, where Oliver Queen is leading a group of kids from the Youth Recreation Center on a hike up the mountain. After some awkward comments about Ollie's age, the group witnesses a strange meteor shower in the night sky. One of the kids says that a shower like this should have been predicted, plus meteors shouldn't be able to slow down or change course. Telling the kids that he's going to investigate and to call Connor if he's not back in five minutes, Ollie rushes towards the crash site, grabbing his bow as he runs along. But when he reaches the zone, he's surprised to find that the alien isn't a threat. In fact, the alien shouldn't even exist, as the alien is the former Green Lantern of Sector 2814, Hal Jordan's predecessor, Abin Sur. And that's a nice cliffhanger ending there. Uh, what do you think about this issue, Mike? Uh, this was a fun one. I enjoyed the battles in it. I always love the different ring constructs that Kyle manages to come up with. Um, again, the the interaction between Ollie and uh, Kyle did seem a little forced, uh, specifically when they were just starting to do back and forth screaming at each other. It seemed very much, a, okay, what can we have them say to each other at this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, it, it does seem like they're... And uh, some of the dialogue I was kind of uncomfortable with because it seemed kind of forced for the characters. It didn't seem like this would be something that, you know, Ollie would be saying to someone. But we'll get more into that. Uh, Anything else you have about it? Um, Just that I agree about the ending. Very good cliffhanger. Um, I did have a couple uh, art-related issues with this one, but I, I'll get into those when we get to the specific pages. Okay. Yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of have to agree with you. Um, for me, this seems like this story might be Winnick's swan song, and that might be me looking at it from the fact that I know that here in three issues, Judd Winnick's going to move away from this book and take over the uh, Green Arrow book. Which is interesting because Ben Rabe, who's writing the Green Arrow book for the story, is going to come over and work on the Green Lantern book. It's kind of an interesting switch around. Um, I think Adler's art is still good. 
but there's still that disconnect between the, the established DC heroes and the generic characters. Um, but overall, it's uh, I think it's a good story with some minor problems, like like we've said, between the relationship between Kyle and Oliver. It's it just seems like their arguments are being put in there because they need to have arguments, which doesn't make sense to me. But it's the story, so there we go. Starting off with the cover, I actually like this cover a little bit better than the other cover. Uh, still, Ollie's doing the pulling the bow back, you know, sideways, which I guess is sort of the akin to holding the gun sideways, sort of gangster looking. But it looks like a more feasible way of shooting a bow rather than on the uh, the other cover. Uh, Kyle looks good with the the ring construct beam coming out of there doing sort of a slashing move. Um, I, I, I enjoy it. Uh, most of the covers have this sort of bluish purple nighttime background, which I guess is to sort of show the idea of the black circle. I don't know. What do you think about it? Uh, I agree. Uh, I do like the, the poses. It has a very dramatic and heroic look to it. Um, I think it could, the, uh, blue blackish, uh, sky could have to do with the black circle. Uh, at the same time, uh, a lot of it could also, uh, help with the shading, give them kind of a darker and brooding look to the characters, which is at the, uh, at that time in the early 2000s, a lot of superheroes were very dark and brooding. It actually was in a lot of the movies with superheroes as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this this time where, you know, we're coming out, I think this is probably right around the time of the Daredevil movie, the X-Men mm-hmm. movies have come out. So, you know, we haven't we hadn't gotten to the uh, Batman Nolan reboots. Well, I'm not certain if. Uh, no, I think it was I think it was later after this that we got the first, uh, you know, Batman Begins movie coming out. So yeah, I think it was a yet. few years later. So moving into the book, I'm glad that on page two, uh, that's my first real note on page two in the last panel. At least Kyle and Ollie try to make up for their actions in the last issue. I don't mind them, you know, I, well, okay, I'll say I don't like them being antagonist, but I can see Kyle's ribbing getting to Ollie and it just escalating from there. But I am at least glad that they try to make amends, even though it really doesn't stick all that much. They both seem to be very, be very, hot tempered at this point in time. Yeah, it seems like the there's uh intended to be a lot of ego in there, specifically with Ollie who hates, you know, being compared to his old, you know, he was replaced when he uh quote unquote died by Connor. So, you know, he feels like he has to prove himself and Kyle's ribbing, you know, doesn't really help. Yeah. While while we're on that subject, um could you kind of fill me in? Because I know generally what happened. Uh, essentially, uh, Ollie died around zero hour in the green, or in the green arrow book. Uh, I think he was on a plane and it exploded. And at the, after that, of course, Connor came in and most of the team ups that I've read between Green Lantern and Green Arrow from this, uh, era have been Kyle and Connor. But, uh, a few years or, Prior to this, Kevin Smith came in and wrote the Quiver story. How did Kevin Smith bring Oliver back into the DC universe? 
Well, um, yes, he had died uh, sacrificing himself, actually, to, to uh, save thousands of people on a plane. And um, when Hal Jordan was still doing his time as Parallax, he um, returned during the uh, Final Night storyline, used his powers to bring Oliver back, but uh, what he brought back was actually only the uh, the body. There was no soul in it. Um, Ollie's soul actually remained in the equivalent of heaven until uh, he was brought back and reunited with his body in order to defeat a warlock by the name of Stanley Dover. Hmm. I don't remember specifically uh, how he got brought back to his body, but that was pretty much the return of Oliver Queen as Green Arrow. And that was part of the Quiver storyline? Yes. Hmm, that sounds interesting. I may have to go seek out that trade. You know what? And I'm thinking this is even... I'm not certain if Quiver came out prior to to Kevin Smith's run on Daredevil or whether or not uh, Daredevil came out first, because I'm trying to remember in the timeline of Kevin Smith writing, but I think, I think, uh, I think Green Arrow was the first thing they did. Then he moved on to Daredevil and then Batman and doing various other things and Spider-Man and such. Once again, you are wrong. Kevin Smith worked on Daredevil a couple of years before he started on Green Arrow. You are horrible at doing research. But, uh, I'll ha- I'll have to definitely check that out. That's an interesting idea. Of course, like I said, after page two, it again devolves again into name calling, and it, it evolves into uncomfortable name calling on page four, as uh, as we see as we get the fourth and or third and fourth panel where Ollie says, um, "I like the new costume. The latest in gay biker actually suits you," and. That really felt out of place for Ollie. I mean, that's a for Ollie being written as progressive as he usually is, and I'm thinking more back to the Denny O'Neill run of the Silver Age with Green Arrow, Green Lantern, with him being sort of the quintessential liberal character. That he would use a stereotypical, cliched insult like this just feels out of place and kind of beneath him. Yeah, I, and I'll be honest, I'm not sure if it's just, you know, going over my head, but I, I, I look at Kyle's outfit and I don't even see even close to where he even came up with that other than, you know, oh, we need him to make some type of insulting comment. Here's something. You know, I can maybe see with the tight pants and the, the only thing that I could probably see is the boots. The boots being mm-hmm. sort of, uh, those straps, you know, you would think, if he is riding one of those uh, faster sort of uh, sport bikes, that might be something he'd be wearing. But yeah, it does feel really out of place. And it's just a, it just seems a silly insult. And it seems both beneath Oliver Queen as a character and Judd Winnick as a writer, specifically because Judd Winnick is known for writing stories which promote you know, promote a positive image of homosexuals. You know, uh, obviously the character of Terry Long was one of the characters that he dealt with, and he tried to, you know, with the hate crime storyline, he tried to show that, you know, this these hate crimes promoted against this against Terry, and in, in turn, in real life, the thing against Matthew Shepard was really an offensive thing, and the fact that he'd pull out 
a slur like this just to throw in the book is kind of a passing thing to get a Kyle to get a rise out of Kyle just feels it feels cheap. So, mm. but it does lead to the the part in the book that I really enjoyed on on page five that Connor steps in and breaks up the fight between them, and I I was really glad to see Connor in the book because, like I said, for for this is my era of Green Lantern comics, and Connor was a major part of the Green Arrow Green Lantern crossovers, so I, I really liked Connor as a character, and when Chuck Dixon was writing the uh, Green Arrow stories. I thought Connor was a really fun character. I thought he really got him down, and he had a great relationship with Kyle. So I'm glad to see him step into the book and sort of break things up between the two of them. Yeah, I I do like Connor, but uh, admittedly, and that you know, kind of going into my old man phase. But you know, he, he's not my Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. No, I. I <laughs> but I do that. I do enjoy the character though. Yeah. It, and it's the the one thing that I've liked and I've commented on the show prior to this about this era of DC was the fact that it did have this feel that it was progressing on. You had these legacy characters specifically like with the flash and green arrow and green lantern where you had either the wards or the sons or the characters who followed on with the care, the followed on with the uh, legacy of them moving on and having their own stories and becoming interesting characters as well. It felt like at this point, the DC universe was progressing on. And that's one of the things that I'm kind of not really down with on the DC universe, but I wish that they didn't have to go back to it where they decided to bring back Barry Allen and Hal Jordan and, uh, you know, uh, Oliver Queen. And we haven't seen, Currently in the new 52, uh, we haven't seen Wally West as far as I know. Uh, I don't know if we've seen Connor Hawk in the Green Arrow books. And Kyle has kind of been – Kyle has his own story, but uh, the main focus for Green Lantern has been Hal Jordan. Um, it's it's good if they tell interesting stories with it, but I have always preferred this era where we have these legacy characters or these legacy heroes that had their own interesting storylines. Yeah, um, along those same lines, one of my fav- one of my favorite characters in DC is Cassandra Cain, mm-hmm. who was this technically the second official Batgirl. If you don't count the fact that technically Helena Bertinelli put on the Batgirl costume for a little while, but she was not actually recognized as Batgirl by Batman. But you know. and kind of along those same lines, you know, it feels like at times they they go backwards by in this example, having Barbara Gordon go from being Oracle and put her back into being Batgirl, while the people who took her place, Stephanie Brown, Cassandra Kane, just kind of disappeared, like mm-hmm. they never even existed. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want this to be a dismissal or a bashing on the New 52, because that's not what I want to do, but... Uh, I, I want to celebrate these comics and I, I like the way that the characters progressed in these comics. And like I said, this was an interesting era where, where things seem to be moving in new directions for DC. And maybe that's not what the people at DC want to do right now. Those aren't the stories that they want to tell right now. That, that could be. And yeah. I don't want to come off like I'm, you know, one of the, you know, I hate 
all new 52, you know, not at all. There are a lot of very good stories I've enjoyed. Uh, the death of the family with Batman. I've, I've very much enjoyed a lot of the stuff from Green Arrow. There's good and there's bad in this era, just like there's been good and bad in every era of comics. Exactly. And it, it, I would rather focus on the good than, than complain about the bad. And, <laughs> I agree with you. I've heard wonderful things about the death of the family storyline. I've heard wonderful things about the Flash series uh, in the New 52, as well as, you know, uh, Greg Capullo and uh, Scott Snyder's Batman. Um, I was really surprised with uh, All-Star Western in the uh, in the New 52. I was never really interested in Jonah Hex, but All-Star Western was one of my favorite books from the new line. It was kind of sad that it had to... Uh, to cancel out, but it's like I said, I want to celebrate these comics, and you know, I think this this era is one of the one of the eras that I love celebrating. Um, moving on to page seven again, I think Adler does a great job on, in the third panel where Connor confronts Ollie. I think he does a good job drawing him. I think Jed Winnick does a good job with his dialogue. Uh, it shows that it, it shows that. Connor isn't going to take any crap from his dad. He's not going to let him push him around and he's going to call him out when he's being a jerk. And I, I like that Connor is that confident of a character that he can say to a person who has held the mantle of green arrow for far longer than he has, that he needs to step down and he needs to stop acting, acting almost like a petulant little child. So I like this. I like this character moment here. Actually, on that same panel you mentioned, Connor kind of looks like he's going to hurt himself the way he's twisting his spine. Yeah, it is a <laughs> bit. Now, now that I look at it, it looks like he is twisting a bit, but it's a very dynamic pose. And oh, you, yeah. could th- you could think that he's just doing it very quickly and that in the next second his yeah. legs would be turning. Maybe he's also trying to do the... Uh, the sort of female butts and boob pose, but uh, it's getting filmed from a different way. That could be it. After that, I don't have any... Uh, oh, I've, I've got a comment on page eight. As uh, Connor and Ollie walk away, You know, he mentions, hey, that's some shiner that you got. And Ollie, of course, said, oh, this? No, I, I walked into a door, sure. Kyle hits like the Riddler. Girly slap fights. So, again, Winnick's doing a good job with the dialogue. I liked it. Yeah, I like that he's trying to deflect the fact that the fight didn't enter him. So it's it, it's fun. I like that. Yeah, poor Riddler. Everyone always picks on the Riddler. <laughs> yeah, and uh, surprisingly enough, if you've read through, uh, I know you since you said you read through to issue four, you know that the Riddler gets picked on even more in the story. So yeah, it's not until I guess it's not until you know Batman Year One that the Riddler gets any real real comeuppance so uh, but there you go after that we move back to new york city and kyle fights some goons from the walking dead comic essentially i like the constructs they're fun kyle has used the the elf constructs before um the uh, trash can I, I like him doing the oscar the grouch uh construct coming out of the trash can and frightening the one thug and i also like uh it's very subtle but you can tell a bit of difference in the shading between Jenny and Kyle's constructs. So I, I, I like that they put a little subtlety into that. 
and her and her constructs look a little different. Uh, I think that's a credit to Charlie Adler's art that he's trying to make their their constructs a little different between the two of them. Kyle's looks a little more a little less cartoony for me at least. Yeah, I the different kinds of constructs have always been one of my favorite parts of the Green Lantern characters. It's actually one of the things that annoyed me in the first season of uh, the Justice League cartoon because all that they were really using were beams and domes. But um, yeah, there's a lot. I I really do love the different constructs. Although on page nine in the uh, second panel, what what is that? Let me see. Um, are those leprechauns? Are those? Elves? Oh no, not not oh, the, 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 not... Oh, the oh the oh the oh the second panel is that a ram? But it's got like it's got like anthropomorphic kang- arms. Yeah, it's got arms and it's got like kangaroo legs. It's that's weird. That's just Kyle's imagination. <laughs> but yeah, that is. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. No idea what that is. <laughs> Uh, that's Kyle's freaky. Maybe it's something from some anime. You know, Kyle is all into uh, Japanese anime, so it's maybe some anime character that I just have no knowledge of. Hmm. Not one that I'm familiar with, but mm. then that doesn't mean it's not. <laughs> yeah, I really don't have any. Uh, you know, I I I guess I'll say on page twelve, I do like that Kyle decides to do some investigating. Not that Kyle is Batman or a detective of any of sort, but he realizes there's a mob connection to this. So New York being a assumed, I'm using air quotes up to the microphone, uh, mob town, he goes to a place where supposedly mafiosos would be hanging out, and then we get a big just fight sequence. But I, I like the fact that Kyle uses his brain to try and figure out what's going on here. And he's got almost as much narration as a Frank Miller comic, <laughs> except with less of Batman calling people retarded <laughs> or or saying, you know, offensive things about to Robin or whatever. Um, again, we get the disconnect between Kyle and the other characters. The other characters look very well rendered. Kyle looks a little bit generic, but it, uh, after this, it's just basically a big fight scene between the uh mob members and Kyle until until we get uh, them sitting down and talking and you know the, the idea uh, he, he finally gets into the idea these aliens were stealing bleach to make narcotics and I don't know if you remember uh, the like the 1993 movie Alien Nation with uh, uh, Mandy Patinkin and uh, James Caan I think was it James Caan? You were right about the actor, but about five years off on the release date. So 50% right, still a failing score. Yeah. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Essentially, one of the plot points of that was very similar to this. The aliens came to this world and they started manufacturing a specific type of very potent narcotic to uh, that only the aliens could use, and uh, it was up to these two characters to break up this drug ring. So I, I found it kind of interesting that this tale mirrored that uh, movie in some way. Um, my next note's not until page 18 where, uh, yeah, page 18 where, uh, Ollie's leading this group of kids up this mountain on a hike was, do you know if 
uh, Connor was working in a youth shelter or something like that? Was that part of his uh, sort of regular, uh, ordinary, everyday life is what he did? Um, I admit that's something I am not really sure about. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter because it looks like, you know, you know, Ollie's helping out Connor, whatever, taking these kids on a nature hike, which I guess is just progressing the plot because he has to watch the alien ship land. But uh, again, you know, it's, it's fun. I think I do have to admit Adler has some problems with drawing the kids' faces. I think the kids' faces sometimes look a bit too adult on the smaller bodies, but that's just me. One interesting thing I did notice here, if you look at the bottom middle panel on page 18, and then the first panel on page 19, mm-hmm. it's the exact same shot. Yeah, they, they basically statted it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an idea of, you know, Ollie just sort of staring down this kid who's making a uh, snide comment about him. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not a cheap trick, but it's, it's one to get the point across that Ollie's not happy with this kid. I've seen worse versions of that where a panel has been repeated like three or four times. Yeah. So. I remember an, an issue, uh, an early issue of green lantern where they statted the panel. It was like a nine panel grid and every, other panel was the same shot of the face of Hal Jordan. So, yeah. Um, but then we get the uh, crash of the meteor and uh, Ollie goes into uh, full on, you know, green arrow mode. And we get the uh, introduction of Abin Sur, which is interesting, specifically for a lot of well, for a lot of reasons. One, that Abin Sur should be long dead. And two, if this is Abin Sur Green Lantern. Why is he in the Green Lantern costume, but with no Lantern symbol? So, kind of a mystery there. Yeah. And on page uh, 21, uh, bottom left panel, man, Ollie looks fat. (laughs) Yeah, that perspective there makes him look really That is not a good shot. (laughs) No, it's, it's uh, it's an upshot. Maybe if his head was a little larger... That's true. His head looks really small. Yeah, he looks like he's got he's got Beetlejuice head there, you know, uh, the the little Zulu warrior is shrunk in his head. But yeah, his I, I, yeah he doesn't look good. This is not a a good artistic rendering of Ollie in this. But um, yeah, this was again another interesting issue. I uh, had a few problems with some of the dialogue in it. Uh, mainly some of the quips between them. Kyle and Ollie not getting along is getting kind of old, but it's an interesting storyline with, I think, a really good, a really good cliffhanger ending. What do you think? Uh, I agree. Um, I think the, the dialogue with uh, Kyle and Ollie, it's kind of one of those, we know we're doing six issues. We don't want them to start getting along too soon. So we got to keep them fighting. Um, I did love the, the bringing in of the Japanese, uh, sumo wrestler constructs, including the dialogue from one of the goons of boss, he's throwing big fat Japanese guys at us. <laughs> yeah. And sumo wrestlers is, is another trope that I think Kyle had used as a construct before. And 
I know that they've talked about Kyle never uses the same construct more than twice, but I think this is just a different form of Japanese sumo wrestler, so it works within the story. But yeah, I I, I agree with you. You mentioned prior in the in the show that you were kind of disappointed in the Justice League that they didn't really make use of the constructs all that much, and I've heard that's that was kind of an not really an editorial thing, but a sort of plan thing on that that they wanted to just make John Stewart's ring just do beams and weapons and it was only a few times when certain writers got a hold of him that they had him do constructs like uh there was the christmas episode where he and hot girl were on this ice planet and he was using constructs to throw snowballs at her so but uh yeah overall a really fun issue interesting art and uh, a, a good cliffhanger so i'm looking forward to the next couple of next couple of issues likewise Michael, it has been a joy to have you on the show. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'm, like I said, I'm glad to have someone on that has a fondness for the character of Greed Arrow, uh, has knowledge of this, and was able to come in here and talk about these stories. Well, it's been my pleasure. This is actually my first opportunity to appear on someone else's podcast, and it's been a lot of fun. I do love talking about Green Arrow. I do have a fondness for the Green Lantern, so this has really been a lot of fun for me, too. Well, cool. I hope this will this will allow you to branch out and show up on other shows and let you know if there is any other you know unfortunately i'm kind of winding down the show but if there's any other thing that you'd like to get with me and talk about i would love to do that hmm. why don't we go ahead and let you i'm going to go ahead and let you uh tell people where they can find you out on the internet the types of stuff you're doing out there and uh where people can get in touch with you all right. Uh, well, the main spot for my uh, podcast, the Invincible Ironcast Classics Edition, is uh, invincibleironcast.podbean.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook under the same name, Invincible Ironcast Classics Edition. Uh, I'm on Twitter under Iron Man Ironcast. Uh, email ironmanironcast at gmail.com. And um, for people interested in my music, which is completely unrelated to comics in any way, uh, they can find that and the sorely needed an update website, MikeStaleyMusic.com. Cool. And I again, I think I mentioned this off the air that uh, you did a really now prior uh, at the time of this posting, the last uh, Invincible Ironcast Classic Edition that you did was followed up by a cover of the Eagles Hotel California in which you inserted references to the Green Lanterns and it had perhaps one of the funniest lines <laughs> possible in the story that dealt with uh, Kyle and his very awkward um, relationship with uh, refrigerators, which I absolutely loved. And I, the, like I said, <laughs> that completely... And totally caught me off guard and had me literally laughing out loud. So thank you for that. Uh, uh, to be honest, actually, the one of the lines in there, um, I would not have even known to use without uh, just one of the guys. Uh, when I mentioned in the song Guy Gardner and Nort, I had never actually even heard of Nort until... Uh, you mentioned the storyline, a guy in his Nort here on the show. And that was actually what inspired me to use that line for the song. Nice. Uh, you know, 
like I said, Guy Gardner is one of my favorite characters, and that storyline was one of the first ones that I really picked up with Guy. It was sort of his first solo adventure in the Green Lantern iteration. Prior to that, he had been a member of the Justice League International. Uh, he had had, well, he'd had stories with, uh, Green Lantern back in the pre-crisis era in the Green Lantern core stories, but this was one of his first on his own issues, and I really enjoyed that story. And uh, again, if you're a fan of Guy Gardner, I think you need to go pick up that storyline because it's just a bunch of fun, and I'm pretty certain you can find it, you know, in the cheapy bins. It's it's I, also on DC uh, DC Comics Digital. I've seen it on there. Nice. Well, then definitely go check that out. I'm certain it's probably on Comixology. I'm certain Comixology works with them in, as well as that. So if, if you can, go check that out because that's a fun, fun storyline. But, Mike, thanks again for coming on the show. And thank you, everyone, for downloading and listening. We will be back next time to cover the next couple of issues of this Black Circle storyline. But until then, everyone, have a good week. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Just One of the Guys. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonza Core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was Spin the Black Circle by the band Pearl Jam off their album Vitology. Once again, this song by Pearl Jam can be purchased in a numerous amount of places. But the best place to go to purchase it, if you'd like to, would be Amazon.com. And anytime you want to go to Amazon.com, I'd ask that you use the link at TutureFreaks.com. Whenever you go to TutureFreaks.com and click on the banner in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage, you'll be transported to Amazon, where any purchase you make will shoot a little bit of money back to the Two True Freaks website. You won't see anything extra taken out of your check, or out of your account. I don't know why you'd be paying my check, but there you go. And it every amount does help the Two True Freaks website out. So if you're ever thinking about buying music, movies, games, whatever, make sure you use the link at TutureFreaks.com.